This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 266. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I am joined by Mr. Company President, Commander-in-Chief, CEO, Mastermind, Jacob Paulson. You're going to run out of superlatives to use to try and describe me. I don't think so. You're so unique and and so special to me that... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, it sounded so sincere, but yet I know it's so ridiculous that it, that's, that's why I laughed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to show, I got to show you my appreciation from time to time. After all, it is you that writes the company checks. I suppose it's only wise and prudent of you. Yep. Yep. Got to keep the the money man on the good side. Hello folks. Welcome uh, to this episode. This is a a special, unique episode. Uh, They all are. Of course, I say that like every time, right? Because they are. <laughs> Just like Jacob's special and unique. Uh, we are going to be talking about <clears throat> some data, a study essentially that our company undertook, looking at FBI active shooter, basically a report that was released earlier this year from the FBI, I think it was. And they, they have yes. several editions yes. of reports over the last decade or whatever. But uh, this is specific to active shooter events. And we dived deep into that stuff. Uh, we pulled out of that really, really interesting, relevant information for concealed carriers. And we also recognized there were failings in the FBI report, meaning some data that we felt like was missing. And we went out there and tried to find everything we could and make sure this was as comprehensive as possible. And what we're looking for is active shooter events. In other words, situations where somebody showed up typically in a public place, or a place where there was multiple, you know, many people and started firing, firing bullets around. And whether, like, a couple things we were really interested in is if concealed carriers were present or people active, you know, armed citizens were president, president, present, and if they were able to do anything to affect the outcome of that. And so we're going to share with you now a lot of the things that came out of this study, and it's, it's really eye-opening. But first, today's episode is brought to you by... Ammo Supply Warehouse, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. We are so pleased to be partnered up with Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, Jacob, you, you just got done this last weekend along with me teaching a uh, another Guardian Essentials pistol course, and we had a uh, bunch of uh, ammo, you know, Fioki ammo that you and I were using and shooting, which, uh, yeah, it's so far going really great. We ordered that Fioki ammo from Ammo Supply Warehouse. It got here very quickly. Uh, they have awesome customer service, great product, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, I put it through uh, three different guns on Saturday too, so it's fun. Yeah, and Guardian Nation members save an additional uh, an additional five percent off of already really awesome prices. So go check out ammosupplywarehouse.com. And then also all this week we have this kind of campaign of sorts that we call No Gun Control. Uh, coming up here pretty soon is uh, the election season, and we have a number of states with high-profile elections taking place. We've got initiatives or ballots or ballot initiatives or, or propositions that are going on, and uh, you know where the voters are voting in some cases on some very 
hopefully some good legislation in some places, but in a lot of places, some pretty scary stuff that's being voted on. Like Washington State has an initiative, I think it's called 1639, that we talked about on the podcast yesterday, that is... Uh, it's got some scary stuff in that, in that, in the verbiage of that initiative language. So, uh, anyway, we don't want to see more gun control, do we? So no, we don't want to see politicians who want gun control. That's right. So, stand up for the second and uh, support those that are pro Second Amendment. And uh, all this week to help things, help your dollars go a little further. We got a twenty percent off site wide sale on. Uh, it's it's awesome. So go go check out things in our online store, concealedcarry.com. Uh, use the coupon code No Gun Control and save twenty percent off everything. And yesterday I was sporting my uh, Speak Softly and Carry a Big Stick shirt, and I think that's what Jacob's wearing right now. Yes, yes, it is. Here it is. Yes, I'm wearing it right now. So even yeah. that's twenty percent off. Yep. So if well, you if you're a Guardian Nation member, you're going to get thirty percent off because Guardian Nation members always get ten percent off above and beyond whatever else. Right. Dude, that's freaking insane. So, hello, GN members. If you've been holding back, go log into the site now and use your GN membership and use the coupon code No Gun Control and pick up that Speak Softly and Carry a Big Stick t-shirt for 30% off. Yeah, I've seen a couple orders come through the last couple of days that we've lost money on. <laughs> oh, snap. You know, there's just some things we don't have 30% margin on. So when we do a 20% off sale, like we're mostly safe. But when a Guardian Nation member buys specific products, it's like, ooh, dang it, they got us. Hmm, <laughs> indeed. Well, anyway, awesome shirt, awesome products in our online store. Coupon code, no gun control. Go shop now. Actually, listen to the podcast, then go shop. <laughs> All right, so what do we got? Well, here's what we got. We've got this FBI data, Jacob. Let's dive into this. Uh, we wrote an article. Article will be uh, shared in the show notes of today's episode. Show notes can be found at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 266. And uh, the title of the article on our site is, of which Jacob is the author, because he, he, like I said, did pretty much all the legwork behind this. Armed citizens are successful 94% of the time at active shooter events. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, That's true. really, uh, pretty in-depth article. You broke down kind of the logic behind it, uh, the way we uh, did the study on our end of things, and there's lots of really great infographics, uh, you know, expressing in a visual way the results of this study. So, uh, where, where do we where do we begin with this? Yeah. So let's talk about the objective and let's talk about the data. So the, here's the objective, and I, I want to be extremely clear, clear. I get really upset sometimes anytime I see data studies reports about the success rate of armed citizens. They really tick me off because they almost always, and in fact, I'll go so far as to say, I, as far as I have been aware, they always fail to take in a really important consideration, and that's opportunity. I remember the first time this got me, I was, uh, was uh, saw a video was being shared on Facebook or somewhere, and it was from The Daily Show with, uh, what's that dude's name? John Stewart or something? Yeah. yeah. And uh, The Daily Show, John Stewart uh, showed some data that basically showed, you know, the number of times that a good guy with a gun had ever stopped a bad guy with a gun. It was some minuscule number, right? Like, you know, I can't remember, some low number. And then he showed like, well, this is the total number of, you know, homicides, you know, that have taken place. And so he, he basically came to the conclusion that some less than 1% of the time, you know, less than one tenth of 1% of the time, good guys with guns ever do any good. 
And it really got me upset. That was a couple of years ago. It was like 2016. And it got me mad because that that's a really false inference when we do that. And it, it's a false inference because the data is only true if a good guy with a gun was around and available to stop all of those homicides, which, of course, they, a good guy with a gun was not around and available. And so what happened is uh, the FBI recently published the third part in their active shooter report. And I say third part because essentially what happened is uh, originally when the first time FBI was commissioned to do a study on active shooter events, it was uh, 2014. And so they decided, okay, yeah, I get it. The government you know, wants us to go get some data. So the FBI went out and they did a report on active shooter events from the year 2000 to 2013. Okay, so they covered a, a, what would essentially be a 14-year period because those of us who, who do math, it's a 14-year period. They, they went and found stories, news stories. You know, they, they don't have any way to collect these things. It's not like people report stuff into some sort of FBI database. So they, they're doing nothing more than you or I would do. They just, they're, they're probably Googling it, right, and finding news stories. And they made that very clear that that's, that's the best they could do. Well, hold and on. Hold on. Up, I got to put the brakes on here just a little bit because sure, this, sure. this is the cynic in me coming out. You said there's no, like, place where you know folks are like reporting active shooter events to the FBI. not into a database that the government but, controls but the but the fbi doesn't don't they all don't they receive reporting from uh participating law enforcement agencies as far as on crime statistics yes but I, so look if i'm hearing you correctly there there is crimes there are crime statistics being submitted to a database but Maybe there's not a, a category or a notation or a special way of recognizing which of those crimes would be active shooter or mass shooter. That's a fair assumption because, and I'm quoting from the FBI's own words here. They say, the FBI has no specific system in place for finding and cataloging, ca- cataloging active shooter events. That's insane to me with the FBI being who yeah. they are. That's what it says. But okay, that's that's so, all right. They're here, they're there, but there you have it. So they're doing their best, right, to find these events via probably, like I said, Google. <laughs> and so the first report they, they put out was in 2014. It covered the years 2000, 2013. And in that event, obviously, one of the data points they look at is was an armed citizen available and uh, was that armed citizen successful? And when they published that report, that's, that's what they got. And then they did another report that covered the years 2000. 14 through 2015 that was obviously published in 2016 and then they just did another one released this year that covered the years 2016 2017 so it would appear that their intent is to put out a new report every two years that seems to kind of now be the new flow and so we have three total reports that cover an 18-year period the years 2000 through 2017 now by itself if you look at the fbi data you it calls into question a lot of things because it, you know I, I looked at it and it said something like you know Armed citizens stop, you know, 8% of active shooter events. And I'm like, 8%? That seems ridiculously low. Of course, they're doing the same thing that Jon Stewart did in The Daily Show, and they're not looking at opportunity. So I was a little upset. And then uh, our friend John Lott, and I'm a big fan of John Lott. He's he's a smart dude, uh, and he's over at the Crime Prevention Research Center. He published a rebuttal to the FBI report. The first one uh, that was released in 2014, he did a rebuttal. He didn't say – he didn't really – report on the second one. But this third one that was that was posted this year, he did a rebuttal against that one as well and said, here are the flaws of your of your report. Right. And and even John, as smart of an awesome dude as he is, who's who's pro-gun, he also did not take into consideration opportunity. 
he he basically said, "Hey, you missed some stories," and and he articulated exactly which news incidents, which active shooter incidents took place that the FBI did not take into consideration. He sent them to the FBI. The FBI responded to him, admitted that they indeed should have included some of those. Others, they said, "No, we shouldn't have. We didn't include that one because." And and you can read all the rebuttal if you wanted. Uh, but long story short is even John, who did go to some effort to rebuttal it, who did identify active shooter events that they missed, even he in his report uh, still said, well, armed citizens are successful, you know, 11 point something percent of the time, better than eight, but still doesn't take into consideration the most important consider, you know, the most important factor to me, which is opportunity, mm-hmm. right? If an armed right. citizen wasn't there at all, then what, like, why are we, how does that build into the number? Right. Yep, so exactly. That's, that's where we begin. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great, great summary as far as like kind of setting the stage and the background of of the the different studies or reports that the FBI did, the work that John Lott's done, kind of how that's gotten us up to this point. And then we further looked at all of this, and I, if I remember correctly, we added a few more incidents to this pool of active shooter events. Yeah, correct. So basically, we took 248 incidents, which is all of the incidents reported by the FBI, right? So if you if you look at their three reports that cover the years 2000 through 2017, they reported on 248 active shooter events. So we included all of those. In addition to those 248, we took an additional 35 identified by the Crime Prevention Research Center by John Lott's team, and we added them to our pool. Now, and I'll clarify here in just a minute what qualifies as an active shooter event because the FBI does have a very specific definition with some qualifiers. And so we didn't take these 35 incidents from John Lott and just willy-nilly say, oh, John Lott says so. Like, I read every single one of these and said, does this or does this not meet the criteria that the FBI says they're going by or not? And and as I mentioned earlier, many of these 35, the FBI admitted to having missed. They they didn't revise the report. They just said, oh, yep, you're right. right. We should have had that. Mm-hmm. So in total, we have 283 active shooter events in our data pool that we're we're looking at. Right. Yep. Cool. Uh, so now let's talk about the the criteria that establishes what one of these events. You know, the 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 factors that had to be in place to be counted in this pool of data. Mm-hmm. So here's the FBI's definition of an active shooter event. Quote, one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area, end quote. Now, there are a couple other qualifiers. I mean, that's like the short version, right? So a yep. couple, couple things. One, a firearm has to be used. So, for example, there's a couple of really good incidents where a mass stabber was stopped by armed citizens, right? Those don't count. Like we can't, they didn't have a gun. Which is interesting to consider, right? Because there are quite a few of those types of events. I mean, there there is the, uh, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was the mall attack in Minnesota. The guy with the knives. Yeah, Jason Falker was the armed citizen. Right, that would be one. Then there's, uh, I know we mentioned here in the article, the GM building. Yeah, uh, we had that armed citizen. That was not probably still going to be a... uh, uh, a, a, a mass yeah, murder really type thing, threat, right? Because right, sure. it seemed, I think it was fairly targeted. Um, but you also mentioned the uh, there was a situation in Smith's grocery store in Salt Lake City. 
uh, that was yeah, stopped that stabbing was shoppers stabbing. at random, and and, yep. and he was stopped by a concealed carrier as well. So, yep. so, so anyway, that's qualify. right. So a firearm must be used by, by. I mean, it's called the active shooter report, right, or whatever, yeah, so, right? So, okay. So bad guy has to have a gun. Yep. Um, domestic incidents are excluded on purpose. So the FBI essentially feels that the in order for it to qualify, a person has to be endangering strangers. Right. Yep. So if the if the person's sole and only intended victims were people they knew, it can't qualify as an active shooter event. Yep. Third, uh, gang reliance or gang violence is excluded. So if it's if it any if it hints at gang activity, doesn't count. That 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 doesn't qualify. And the last one, this one's an interesting one. The FBI says in order for it to qualify as an active shooter incident, both law enforcement personnel and citizens have to have the potential to affect the outcome of the event based on their responses to the situation. That's a little wordy. Tell us in layman terms what what you think that means. I think it means that, that you know, the purpose of the FBI in their mind, the purpose of putting out a report like this is to help law enforcement and or armed citizens make decisions about what to do to limit the effect of these, these incidents. Right. And so, Therefore, I think they're saying in order for it to qualify, we have to we have to have this criteria that something could have been done, right? If 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 there had been an armed citizen, if there had been police officer there, something they they would have or could have done could have changed the outcome. It could have saved lives, reduced carnage, death, something. Right? There have to have been some possible way. Now the question might ask, when would that not be true? I, and the answer is I have no idea. Yeah. Here's another question. Uh, it said domestic incidents are not included. So perhaps you could provide some clarification if you know on on this question, which would be, what if a situation starts as a domestic as a domestic situation, but then goes outside of that? Meaning, certainly there's been events where an attack started where it was more targeted against family members, but then I think it's just because a person goes crazy, or at that point they decide nothing matters anymore. Uh, they want to die by you know suicide by cop, uh, and so they they murder their family members, their wife, whatever, and then they go out and they start killing everybody else too. It qualifies. Okay. Yep. There are several. There are several like that in the FBI data. So there are some of those also in John Lott's data that were excluded by the FBI. But if you look at the 248 of the FBI, there are definitely several incidents that meet that exact definition. Right? Started yep. out as some sort of domestic violence incident, uh, but it turned into an active shooter event when when strangers were engaged by the shooter. Cool. All right. Now. You and I have already gone over this, and we've talked about a lot of the same things too, including we talked about some of these specific events and whether they should be included or not. We, we kind of had a discussion one day about, we went over, you know, well, this event, well, it kind of happened like this, and this was involved, and, you know, and there was, we had to, you know, make some judgment calls on on, on things that, uh, uh, on whether, whether to include them or not. And I, I'd like to think that where there was some doubt, correct me if I'm wrong, we, we did not include it. And but where we were more certain that it was an active shooter event than it was included, there there were certainly events that John Lott identified that we did not include. Um, so I would say that we we did exercise some degree of dis, of discretion beyond yeah. you know just saying because John said so we'll we'll say right. so too. Um, now, did you say by the way that by adding these additional events to get from the two forty eight to the two eighty three uh, d- that that substantially impacted the results 
Like I know that it did some, but um, but like would we still kind of some of the results? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a couple thoughts. Like we one of the stories we included uh, is an incident where the armed citizen there was an armed citizen present, but he did not succeed in stopping the active shooter. So I mean that that to some degree yeah. does not help our narrative, right? Right. Uh, and we added uh, several stories from that the FBI did not include, where there was no armed citizen present at all. In fact, I'm checking the data right now. And, you know, of those 30-something, a lot of them, <laughs> in fact, hold on a sec, I'll just tell you. Um, boom, here we go. So of, of those that we added, a whole 19 of them, there was no armed citizen present. So we didn't just cherry pick the ones that John Lott identified that the FBI excluded that helped our narrative. We, we really tried to rationally say, does this meet the definition the FBI has put forth of an active shooter event? Yes or no. And like I said, in many cases, the FBI themselves conceded that it did and they just missed it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, I just felt like getting that sort of out of the way is really, really critical so that we understand. I mean, for sure, one thing that people are going to try to do when they see something like this, we've already had this, you know, we've had people, uh, there was an exchange with a guy on Twitter, for instance, I remember on our Twitter account uh, that was kind of questioning this, this report of ours. And uh, so I just, I just want to make sure we understand where this is coming from and the logic behind it, because people are going to obviously want to question the validity of the information or the data set that's used. Uh, yeah, granted, this is not a like peer-reviewed, university-sponsored, you know, uh, research, you know, uh, you know, official like scientific study. Uh, but we've tried to be very methodical and, and as accurate as we feel we can be within reason to put this together. Yeah, and, and I'll add a couple other things here that are just noteworthy, and that would be that when when you do a report like this, the FBI, when they, when they sat down to do the first one of these, it was 2014, and they're looking for news stories from the year 2000. Do you know mm-hmm. how difficult that would be? It'd be yeah. very hard, like – you can't find them, you know, because the nature of the way the internet changed from the year 2000 to 2014 news. I mean, in fact, it was, it was interesting because we, we, we also went through and for every single incident, we tried to find an actual news story so that we could include a link to right. of, as a source, right? Say, Hey, we, this is the source we referenced to get our data. And even for us, it was even hard to find links for some of those older ones. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying is uh, John Lott kind of called out the FBI and basically said that yep. they probably purposefully didn't identify a lot of them in the earlier part of the study because they wanted to show an increase over time. That may or may not be true. What I definitely could say is that it'd be more challenging to find them in the past than it is now. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's that's the first thing, right, is the first infographic that you're going to see in our article is – Active shooter events over time. And if you're looking at this, you'll see from, from the year 2000. And by the way, <clears throat> starting at the year 2000, we actually exclude one of the most famous mass shooters, mass shootings ever in this country, which was Columbine, which happened in 1999. Um, that's, that's beside the point, but it's just interesting to kind of note that. But uh, so we start at the year 2000. What we see from the year 2000 in this active shooter events over time graph is that there there does appear to be this this you know trend and fairly linear. I mean, we do see these these peaks and these valleys, but uh, the overall, if you were to draw a trend line through through the uh, years, the last eight you know seventeen eighteen years or so, you're going to see kind of a line that's increasing from a 
about four or five in the year 2000 to, if I was to guess, somewhere around 20 to 25 would be kind of where that trend line would end up, right? Yeah. And, and what's interesting is like, yeah, so we could point at that and say, yes, for sure, active shooter events have increased over time. And while I think anecdotally that is probably the case, at the same time, we have to realize that events in 2000 or 2002 or another year that's fairly low on this chart, 2004 even, may have been underreported, may have not garnered the kind of media attention that every active shooter event gathers now in this day and age, may not, you know, we may not be able to easily find that data as Jacob was talking about. The internet's changed. Uh, being able to Google or search or pull up stories is not the same. It's not as easy as it once was or as it is now, you know, looking, trying to look back 18 years is is a bit of a challenge to find news stories, news reports. You'd have to go into archives like library type archives, which there are some, some, you know, where you're actually looking at physical publications to find some of that stuff. And that's, that's really challenging to do as well. And I think a more thorough study, that's probably the next step to what, of what you'd want to do is start like combing through uh, like actual publications uh, through the years and trying to find this. But, but the thing is, is that, like I said, nowadays, every time you hear about a school going on lockdown or about an active shooter in some, you know, public place, like instantly it's hitting network news, active shooter going on in Ohio, you know, in Cleveland, active shooter in somewhere in California. Like as soon as it happens, boom, it, it, you know, we are, our media is so tuned in on this issue right now, but that was not the case 10 years ago necessarily. Well, there could even be some causation there, and 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 you know maybe this is one worth burying the hatchet. So I inherently do believe that even if we had perfect data, it probably is going up a little bit. And that's and, and I, I said I, that. I, yeah. yeah, I'll adhere to that. But right. I also think there could be some causation with the media factor, right? If 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 every single active shooter incident sure. goes right to the media, then are we encouraging more Copy active shooters? Yeah. yeah, and there's definitely some folks, and and there's some studies too that that seem to indicate that's the case that that media hype. Uh, very likely primes the next active shooter uh, in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, there are some movements out there that are pushing back and saying, let's not give these so much attention because it's just it's just a, a you know a revolving door of That's you know cyclical. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, but so we're in agreement. I mean, generally, it's probably increasing, but I would say that it probably hasn't increased or is happening so, a lot more, or as much more as what we think it may be, based on this data set or based on what the media would have us believe. Sure. Fair. Right. Okay, so that's the first piece, and that's that's pretty interesting to note. Let's look at the next thing here: average number of deaths per event by year. Yeah, so this is about death rate, right? Are active shooting, active shooter events becoming more deadly? And I think part of the, I'll call it, uh, you know, political rhetoric here is that you know we're having these high capacity magazines and semi-automatic guns and rifles and and stuff, and that's that's going to have a, a cause a higher death rate. And particularly looking at you know the uh, assault rifle ban that went from 1994 to 2004 expired in 2004. In theory, then, starting in 2005, we should see a higher death rate, right? More people are being killed per event. And that's not the case. Um, th mm -hmm. This chart, as you can see, if you if you go to the article in the show notes, it's pretty up and down. But if we had a trend line, it's, it'd be pretty dang flat, frankly. Um, so not a huge amount of variance 
from year to year to year on a trend line. Now, 2017 has a bit of a spike, as does 2007. Um, but that's because of really like one isolated event that causes a huge spike. Uh, so that's just kind of the nature of how those things work. Yeah. Frankly, I'm surprised 2017 isn't even higher than it is. I mean, we had the uh, uh, Harvest 91, you know, the Las Vegas shooting, right? Which was huge in terms of the mortality rate. Uh, I don't recall what happened in 2007. Was that Virginia Tech? Was that Virginia Tech? Tech? Yeah, I think it that's was Virginia what's in my Tech. head. Uh, but yeah, you see, I mean, this is a pretty flat, if we were to draw a trend line through this, it would be pretty flat. Yeah. Virginia Tech, April 20, 2007. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the point is active shooter events are not becoming more deadly. And on average, we're talking about, you know, at, at, in the worst years in our data set, we're talking like four and a half mm-hmm. deaths per, per incident. And I, and I get that still sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but but we're not talking about the average number of people dying in these is 12 or 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay, so average death per event by year. Um, so once again, we, you know, I think perceptual, uh, perceptually, is that a word? <laughs> uh, you know, our perception of active shooter events in recent history, you know, like I, I think I kind of, even myself, feel like, it's worse than it once was. You know what I mean? But the data would actually suggest otherwise that, that there are definitely some high profile events that there are definitely a handful of events that are really, really, really bad. We got, here's another, you know, uh, peak in that data in that chart is 2012. That was Sandy hook, right? Mm-hmm. So 2018 is going to have a, a, it's going to be a peak, unfortunately, and only just three, four short months after the Las Vegas deal with parkland. So, yeah, uh, so we see, you know, the, these, there are a couple of these big events, um, but by and large, most active shooter events, the, I would say the average number of deaths per event by year is probably 2.75 to 3. Yeah, yeah. And it's worth noting that um, someone doesn't have to die for it to qualify as an active shooter event. So mm-hmm. the FBI will qualify something as an active shooter event, even if there are zero fatalities. So that, right. that's noteworthy. Well, yeah, a good example is that uh, shooting in Oklahoma, I think it was, uh, a couple months ago. But was that probably like May or June? And that was the one where two different individuals went back to their vehicles to grab oh, guns yeah. and came back and shot this guy. And in that event, I think it was a mom and her daughter that were wounded, but they did not die. Well, the only person that died in that was the perpetrator. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Um Moving on here, percentage of events. This is where things start to get kind of interesting. Percentage of events at which an armed citizen was present. Yeah, so here is the question I had that I was trying to answer. We we know that more and more citizens are getting concealed carry permits, right? That that uh, there's a clear upward trend on that. That data is very clear. Uh, even just like since we started this podcast, we've seen that grow from about 14, 15 million to 17, 18 million people in this country with concealed carry. Right. Permits. So. So the assumption would be that the likelihood then that an armed person, an armed citizen would be present during an active shooter event should should be increasing since we have more armed citizens generally speaking, right? And if you look at this data, it, I, what I would say is that if, if you look at it just you know by year, so it's, it's really hard because some some years just don't have a lot of data. Like we're talking about like one event out of eighteen. You know, that, that's not a very mm-hmm. good data point. So it's hard to look at this this chart. Like, it doesn't tell really good stories. Yeah. It, it's oh, like hot and cold, off and on. Yeah, it's, you know, it's very spiky. 
But uh, if you look at the three-year moving average, that, which is you can call it a trend line if you want. I like I like to be very specific. It's a three-year moving average. Then you do get the sense that, especially since about 2013, 2014, there is an, a significant uptick in the likelihood of an armed citizen being available at an at an active shooter event. Yeah. And, and by percentage, I mean we're talking about you know we were probably bouncing right around seven percent, eight percent likelihood, maybe ten percent. And now over the last you know four years or so, we're we're more likely to be twelve percent, fifteen percent, even eighteen percent likelihood of having an armed citizen available at an active shooter event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it does seem looking at this that uh, through kind of the mid late two thousands, it was fairly flat. Then it kind of dipped, and then it definitely feels like it's uh, on the upward climb. And I, I think that seems reasonable to assume based on, uh, I would say definitely in the last 10 years, which the last 10 years has really been the time that I've been more actively engaged in the concealed carry lifestyle, uh, you know, teaching about it, studying it, you know, and, and we, we see that this has become, you know, concealed carry has become more a, a thing, you know, more of a, uh, societal, you know, societal, uh, uh, what's the word? An accepted thing in society, uh, at least accepted within certain segments of society, right? It's just becoming more and more of a thing. And uh, you're right. I remember when we reported on the podcast that, hey, you know, it's estimated there's 15 million concealed carriers nationwide. And yeah, we are seeing reports now 17 or 18 million. That's, That's pretty awesome. So, okay. So this would suggest to us that Per, this is percentage of events. We have to keep in mind that this is not, we're not saying like percentage of people. Like if we had in an event, a hundred uh, people might be, in, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of this active shooter event. It's not 15% of people might have a, a gun. It is 15% of events or 20% in some cases where it kind of peaks a little higher there. <clears throat> Maybe in about 15% of events, there may be an unarmed citizen somewhere present. Correct. So, yeah, you know, it'd be about one in every eight or yeah. seven. Yeah. In, like in that. recent years, sure. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And, and that, that's far from, you know, you can't guarantee that, uh, but uh, that, that just seems to be kind of what the data is showing here. Um, so, as we see more and more citizens who are armed and present and available in active shooter events, ASEs, um, then we're more likely to start to see situations where those armed civilians are able to actually do something about that active shooter. Yeah, and and I'll also clarify that when we use the word at which an armed citizen was present, that means that the armed citizen showed up or became present at any given point in the conflict. So there are definitely a few of these incidents where the armed citizen was present per our data, but they didn't. Be, they didn't, they weren't there in the beginning. So I'll give you an example. There's one where the active shooter goes to the step, the steps of a, a courthouse, and they start shooting people on the steps of a courthouse. A man who lives in the building next to the courthouse hears the shots fired, comes down the stairs, runs over into the into this into the steps into this area, and, and engages the, the shooter. Right. So that qualifies as an armed citizen being present, even though he wasn't there when the incident began. Yep. Yep. Also, another good example would be the Sutherland Springs, Texas incident. Yes. Right? Neighbor, great a dude living near the church, and he heard what was going on and grabbed his rifle, and with no proper shoes or anything, just runs over there yep, uh, to, that get, would qualify. to get involved. So, yeah. So, armed citizen present. 
and it, it's worth noting that <clears throat> this is this is this is a measurement of situations where it's documented, it's recorded, it was reported in the media in particular, because that's where most of our understanding about these things is coming from. Uh, that you know, the word, where it's reported that they were there, that someone there was had a gun and or you know engaged the suspect. But it's totally reasonable to assume that there's many incidents that have probably or likely have occurred where it's not reported that an armed civilian was present. Maybe an armed civilian was present but chose not to engage uh, for whatever reason. Or perhaps an armed civilian was uh, injured or shot and killed early on in the event before they even had a chance to deploy a weapon or or counter the threat. Uh, you know, in the case of that, that same Sutherland Springs, Texas shooting, uh, in that kind of community, in that part of the country, it, it wouldn't surprise me even if there was someone in that congregation that had a gun on them that was carrying concealed. But yeah, maybe, no, t- totally valid. But yeah, we only know that an armed citizen was present if the if the media said so. Right. But it's entirely plausible that very early on, you know, before that person could get to that gun, maybe they're not carrying in a way that you know we're constantly talking about. Uh, you know, accessibility of the gun and how you're carrying it, uh, off body, not ideal, those sorts of things. And maybe that person was shot, wounded, killed even before. I'm obviously inferring, you know, in a big way into that Sutherland Springs event, but just saying that there's many instances that we may not be aware of. So it's not a perfect metric, you know, as far as what we're looking at here, but this is the ones we know about. And it's still really interesting to consider. Yep. Yep. And, and the next, piece is kind of similar question that we're answering. And that is the percentage of events in which an armed citizen was present. But instead of looking at it by year, we just kind of took all the data and inclusively said, okay, so holistically for all of the data, what's the number? And the number is 11.7%. So of all the 283 active shooter events in the 18 year period, armed citizens were present at 33 of the 283, which is 11.7%. So looking at the whole 18 year period, that's what you get. 11.7%, 11.7%, 33 out of the 283 events. Yeah. Okay. You know what? If you were to ask me to guess this before we knew what the results were going to be, I don't know if I would have guessed that high, to be honest with you. I wouldn't have either. I would have guessed less than 10% for sure. I, I might have said maybe 5% or something, yeah. you know. So, you know, because the it just doesn't seem like it's something that – um I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it happens that often. Although in recent memory, I can think of you know a number of events. This Oklahoma one, the uh, Sutherland Springs one. There, you know, it seems like we are seeing. My perception of this particular question, you know, that we're answering here with this data, is that I think it somewhat reflects what we saw in the in the three-year moving average that you were pointing out. It feels like we're hearing about or seeing this more often than we did, if, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there were zero armed citizens present in any event in the years 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Right. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely, there's an uptick in this. So, the, the, this 11.7% is weighted down a little bit by the lack of armed citizens in the earlier part of the data. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. All right, so what's next? Where do we go next with this? Uh, now we go to the whole point. We go to the, piece, the data that drove us to do this whole big pain in my neck work to begin with, and that is the question of opportunity. So as I mentioned, of the 280-something you know, incidents, 33 had an armed citizen presence. So if we do the thing that John, the 
you know, John Stewart should have done on the Daily Show, and the thing that John Lott just neglected to do. I don't know that it just didn't cross his mind. And we say, okay, let's just look at the thirty-three. Let's exclude all the other data and just look at the thirty-three incidents at which we know someone with a gun, a good guy with a gun, was available to do something. They, they were there. They could have done something. If we just look at those thirty-three, what is the outcome? And and this is where the headline of the article comes in, where I say that armed citizens are successful ninety-four percent of the time. At active shooter events. So let me let me let me be really clear. Of the 33 incidents at which an armed citizen was present, the armed citizen was successful in stopping the active shooter 76% of the time. That's basically 25 of the 33 incidents. So they just outright just stopped the active shooter, boom, it's done, it's over. The armed citizen solved the problem. Okay. That happened 76% of the time. 25 out of the 33. In an additional six incidents, which is 18%, the armed citizen, while they did not stop the active shooter, law enforcement said that they saved lives, that they slowed down the shooter, or they did they did something mm-hmm. that saved lives based on the police reports and you know the media reports. That person was hailed as having helped the situation out. Okay, so combining those two gets us to the 94% headline that I used in this article, right? 76% of the time we stop someone and an additional 18% of the time we at least save some lives. So that would suggest my 94% success rate, right? 94% of the time we either stop or we slow down the active shooter. It's presumed that in either stopping that attacker or slowing them down, we are saving lives. It's 94%. That's the success. The success is found in saving lives in these types of events. Uh, but in a substantial number of them, the, the concealed carrier actually stops the attacker. And by stop, that's measured how, Jacob? They cease to be a threat based on the actions of, of the armed citizen. So that could mean that they leave, but they commit suicide, or the armed civilian shoots and, and wounds or, or kills them. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, all of these things are relatively arbitrary, but roughly speaking, law enforcement has, has said that because of the actions of the armed citizen, the active shooter stopped, right? Because they were engaged with gunfire, they decided at that moment to commit suicide, or they decided at that moment to give up and put down the gun, or they were shot and killed by the armed citizen. Yep. Uh, all of those would qualify. Hey, let's talk about the 6% here. So there's so obviously we've been focusing on the 94%, but there's a 6% number here that says it was not helpful. So what does that mean? What does that look like? There's two. Uh, there's only two. So it's really easy to tell you what they are. So out of the 33 times which an armed citizen was present, we found two where that armed citizen did not stop the active shooter and in fact didn't do anything whatsoever to stop, slow down, or help at all uh, uh, the threat of the active shooter. So one of those is one that most of our listeners are probably at least somewhat familiar with, and that's a the Las Vegas Walmart slash CC's pizza shooting. Right. We broke so, that one down in, in a podcast episode. I think we did. Just to give you the kind of quick byline, you know, husband, wife, active shooter pair go into a pizza place, murder and kill two cops. Then they go into a Walmart. They've, you know, the husband fires off some warning shots. Walmart shoppers start running everywhere. The armed citizen hears the warning shots sees the husband threat and starts to follow him through the store. When he draws his, when he decides to engage the husband threat, he neglects to notice that the wife threat happens to be behind him. And she notices the armed citizen says, hey, you're not shooting my husband and guns him down in the back. Yeah. So that was a fail. He did nothing whatsoever to stop 
or hinder the active shooters. He just sacrificed his life uh, in a way that we could all deem somewhat heroic, but unfortunately he was not successful in any way or measure. Right. And the second one, which is much more bizarre, you have six deer hunters that are out in the woods in Wisconsin and they're hunting and they're ambushed and killed by somebody. We assume that they're, we call them armed citizens because they're hunters. So we assume they had probably hunting rifles. They're probably shooting at deer or wanted to shoot at deer and they were ambushed and killed by a stranger. So that's the other one. That's, that is pretty bizarre. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's super like not the kind of thing any of us would think of when we think of active shooter events, but uh, it meets our criteria the way we've defined this, right? They were armed. It is an active shooter event. They were not successful in any measurement of the word. Pretty sad considering that like you said or suggested six of them and probably all six of them are armed in some way and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. It, pretty lame I mean, very unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, uh, boy, that's, that is remarkable, I think. And I, and I know that, uh, our listeners are like, we're definitely preaching to the choir on this. Like, I'm sure some people are like, well, I'm not shocked at all. You know, like, of course, we're, we're successful all the time. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised even at this statistic. I told you I was surprised that at the at how how high the number was where of events where armed civilians were present. I'm also a little bit, honestly speaking, Jacob, surprised at how many times armed civilians have been successful in stopping or slowing down the attack. Yeah, and this is this was the point. This is what we're looking for. And I didn't know if it was going to be 75%, 80%, 90%. I just knew that it's got to be more than 11%, which is what John Lott said. It's got to be more than 8%, which is what the FBI said. So, I mean, imagine, like, pretty, in a second, just think about, like, the media influence. When the FBI does a report and says that 8% of the time armed citizens you know, are successful, that doesn't paint a very good freaking picture about armed citizens. Like, the rest of it, like, us armed citizens right. are like, not, no, not, that can't be true. Like that right. sucks. And then John Light's right. like, no, you guys forgot some news stories. It's not 8%. It's 11 point right. something. Like that's still not fantastic. And, and that is the key distinction here in case listeners, it's not yet been clear to you that, that this is, this is why this is so significant because in the FBI report, they're saying 8% of the time, you know, and it's measuring how many times civilians were able to stop or slow down an attack out of all these other instances, ignoring the ones where there's not even an armed civilian present. And in John Lott's case, 11% of the time, armed civilians are able to affect the outcome of an active shooter event. Once again, ignoring, (laughs) not looking at the fact that there's plenty of instances where there's not an armed civilian present. Now, that can make the case that more of us need to be armed, right? But what's it, 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 you know, our data set, our report here really, really drives that point home because this says when there's an armed civilian present, so when they're there, they are successful 94% of the time. Granted, it's still a small pool. We're still only talking about 33 events, right? We'd love to see that expanded though, right? Because Well, this- I mean, the argument here from our data is, geez, if an armed citizen are, is successful 94% of the time, maybe like the number one thing we could do to reduce the deaths in these situations is have a lot more of them at which an armed mm-hmm. citizen is present. That's, that, that's that, what I'm that's saying. That's the exactly. key like, takeaway here. Yes, yeah. of course. And that's, why, that's what we're passionate about here at concealedcarry.com. We, we are passionate about arming you 
training and giving you, and I'm talking to the listeners now and to the followers of our of our site and of our brand, of our Facebook page, we're passionate about giving you guys the tools to be able to be there, to be able to do this uh, and, and encouraging others and you know more people growing the fold here because we want to see more responsible, more trained, and just flat out more of you out there carrying concealed, able to defend yourselves, your families, and possibly even other people like what we're seeing in some of these events. Yep. That's what it's all about. But there's more. (laughs) So what else we got, Jacob? Okay. So um, I actually asked our Guardian Nation members if they had anything else they wanted me to look at. And this is one of the things that came from their suggestions. And also a couple of the comments on our Facebook uh, live right now have asked the same question. And that is about gun-free zones. Because the political rhetoric from the Republican side is definitely, well, these gun-free zones are the problem, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of these things take place in gun-free zones. So we took a look at that. Now, of the 283 total events, okay, there were 41% of them at which we don't know if it was a gun-free zone or not. So that's a lot, right? 41%. We have no clue. Like maybe it was amazing. Most of those are private. They're private property. And so without like somehow talking to that private property owner and saying, hey, did you have a sign up? Did you allow guns like at your business store, restaurant, you know, whatever it is? We don't know. Um, In some cases, certainly the news said, oh, that that, that business happens to prohibit guns. Uh, And in some cases, we know based on the type of business, it's a post office. Post offices all prohibit guns, right? But but in the case we didn't know, we we just put a question mark. And Mm -hmm. so that's important to note that that almost half, or maybe not almost half, but 41%, 115 of them, we have no idea. Yeah. Ignore the fact that the pie pie chart here shows it like, being half yeah. the pie and it's 41%. We go back and yell at our designer who did not make the, the pie portions um, proportionate. They, they were very focused on making it look pretty. Yeah. Not necessarily they, accurate. They failed. <laughs> but, 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 but if you're listening to this podcast, the numbers we're giving you are perfectly accurate. Correct. Yes. So the next thought here. So of the ones we do know, right, which are the remaining... Uh, oh, actually, sort of, hold uh, Sorry, Jacob. Let me, let me put the brakes on that just a little bit. Why might it be difficult to understand what type of zone these occurred in? Mostly because they're private businesses or private property. And yep. we don't, we just don't know, right? If it says it took place at a restaurant at Louis family crab shack, you know, we have no idea if Louis family crab shack's yep. a gun-free zone or not. We know it could be because it's private property, but unless the news reports, unless someone in the media, it, it specifically said one way or the other, we, we don't know. And, and unfortunately, sorry, guys, like I'm not going to take my research team and take the time to call 115 private property places and ask them if they you know, prohibit guns and, there or and, did back in year 2000. Right, right. Yes, yes. And some of these businesses or places might not even be around anymore. Yeah, so not so if I, by the way, if I was to take a stab at this, if you were to ask me about what percentage of that 41%, I, I think is not a gun... Is or is a let's be the easy way to do it. What percentage of these would be gun free versus uh, guns allowed zone? I would actually say probably the bulk of them is probably guns were allowed. 
Yeah, because it, it, you know, it, if you take any set of a hundred or a thousand businesses and you mm-hmm. find out how many of them allow guns versus prohibit, it's going to be a small percentage that prohibit. Any concealed carrier knows that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 more likely that you're going to come onto a business who does not have a sign than that you are going to find one that does. And that's going to vary a little bit by place and state location and political sentiment. But yeah, it's probably fair to assume that. Uh, it's also an issue of media reporting. I'll add that too, that if, if it was a gun-free zone, the media would be more likely to say so uh, versus if they didn't, if they had no policy related to guns, the media is less likely to point out. So it's likely that of the 115 that we don't have any way to identify, a large percentage of them were not gun-free yeah. zones. I want to really drive that point home because <clears throat> we're, you, Jacob and I and, and the rest of us here at ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast we're, we're generally conservative people. We're generally we're we're very much pro Second Amendment, right? Uh, and what what in other words, most of us tend to lean towards the right, right, on a lot of issues because that's the tendency. The point is, is that those of us a lot of times on the right or on the gun, you know, on the Second Amendment side of the issue, a lot of times I see this all the time in comments and and debates and things on online forums and Facebook and whatnot about, well, you know, of course, you know, because it's a gun-free zone. But the reality is probably most active shooter events, and I'm, I'm, I'm really confident of, say, of saying this, so I'll just say it. Most active shooter events do not occur in gun-free zones. Nope. But uh, now, now the next thing here, you see two pies on this, on this screen here. Uh, this was actually a question that I asked you as we were working on compiling the information. I said, I realize that probably most events don't occur in gun-free zones. However, and it's because of the vast majority of them being in private businesses. However, I had a theory. I had a thought that I think that there might be some correlation between gun-free zones and the degree of damage done, the, the, the quantity, the number of people hurt or killed in shootings as it relates to whether it occurred in a gun-free zone or not. So the next thing here is events with eight-plus deaths. All right. Now, why we picked that number? I don't know if there's a reason why you picked eight. Relatively arbitrary. <laughs> but but there did seem to be kind of a, a trend. If you were looking at the data set that you hit about that eight number and events with eight-plus deaths, so eight or more deaths in an active shooter, a mass shooting, uh, most of those occurred in gun-free zones. 78%. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, this is also a relatively small data number. We're talking about only 18 of the 283 active shooter events. There are only 18 that have eight plus deaths. So so of those 18, 14 of them for sure took place in a gun-free zone, 78%. Yep. An additional uh, uh, three of the 18, which is 17%, for sure took place in a place where guns are allowed. And one of those 18, we don't know. So yeah, it, it seemed there seemed definitely to be a trend that the more people that die in an active shooter event, the more likely that event was to have taken place in a gun-free zone. So one could suggest, though causation is hard, hard to prove, but at the very least one could correlate this and say that gun, you know, active shooter events that take place in gun-free zones generally have higher death rates. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was really interesting, right? So it does seem that if you are in a gun-free zone, the likelihood that it's going to be a large casualty event is increased. 
So that's that's the one big takeaway here, and that's why I definitely want to see gun-free zones taken away. I mean, just imagine Parkland. Uh, I think it would have been totally different if there were armed teachers some you know somewhere on that campus in that building. Um, I don't know about the Las Vegas shooting. I don't know that that's a that is definitely a freak event. It's an outlier. I don't know that you could have done anything about that. Unfortunately, uh, I don't even think law enforcement could have done anything about it. <clears throat> you know, at least immediately, uh, it still took them quite a bit of time to figure out where the threat was was coming from, how to get there, right, and mobilize and put the the correct team in place to take that guy down. You know, when by the time they got there, he was he was already expired. So, so, but most of these high profile events occur in schools. And they end up with a lot of deaths, and I, I'd like to see that change for sure. Okay, let's move to uh, where events took place, and this one's interesting because I kind of touched on it a little bit. I said a lot of these high-profile events definitely occur in schools, K through twelve, as well as secondary or, or uh, university college level as well. So uh, what we see here is I mean, a lot of different categories. We got stores, airports, bar clubs. Uh, Colleges, federal buildings, and so on and so forth. But you'll see the the biggest slice of the pie is office slash business. So essentially, these are these are private businesses a lot of the time. Yeah, this is twenty five percent. So a quarter, which is the largest slice, as you said, Riley, a quarter of active shooter events take place at a a, a business. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be a lot of things. Now there are a couple of businesses we excluded and made their own categories. Like restaurants, True. right? Like retail stores, bars, clubs, uh, bars and clubs, uh, movie mm-hmm. theaters. Those are all things we excluded and said no. We're not, there's enough incidents that we want to look at those on their own. Yeah. But but so when we well, say business, we're primarily talking about office buildings. Movie theater is an interesting one because there's one event and everyone knows yeah. what that one event is. Yeah, we all think of like we're all paranoid to go to to the movie theater now because of that one thing that happened in an 18 year period. But the yep. truth is, of, of the I think twelve total categories here that we looked at, it's the it has the least incident yeah. number, less than one percent. Point four, yeah. Point four percent. Yep. So your biggest categories are office slash businesses at twenty five point four percent, then schools at fourteen. And that's K through twelve. That's yep. K through twelve. Right, because colleges is, uh, and I assume college slash university the same thing, yeah. right? So schools would be K through twelve schools be the second largest category, fourteen point five percent. Then the next biggest category would be open space, which is kind of interesting. And this one's an interesting category as well because there's basically there's events that occur in a public place, a public square, um, in the street, yeah, out park. in the open, right? It's and it's hard to classify exactly what that is. So it's just anything that basically occurred outside of a building or a facility is open space, right? Yeah. And then the next biggest one would be federal buildings. Oh, stores. Sorry. Store is the next biggest one. So this is a retail oh, oh, yep. establishment. Yeah, so they're they're close. 10.9 yep. versus 9.5. Yeah. Yep. Stores. Yep. Okay. Yep. Federal buildings. Now, this is one that was on my mind. Rather, I, I worked in the federal government for three years. I worked for a civilian agency. And obviously, I couldn't possess or carry a gun there. I couldn't even take it with me to work because I had to go through a secure you know, gate entry into the facility. And so I couldn't leave it in my car. That was also against the law. And uh, yes, there was security on campus, but it's one of those things where you know there are people that go crazy and shoot up federal buildings, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, I guess I better be really good at knowing how to put these scissors to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
You're not alone. Yeah, federal buildings. I mean, almost 10% of active shooting events, 27 out of 283. So it's a decent number. Yeah, so that that gives you kind of a breakdown uh, by percentages of where these sorts of things occur. Now, um, as I said in the previous bit, that I suspect the majority of active shooter events don't occur in gun-free zones. And you see that kind of, I think that correlation link up with this other pie chart where, where the events take place, because probably most of these offices slash businesses are not necessarily, you know, gun-free zones, right? Now they could be, there's, and it also gets a little bit, the the water gets murky, right? Because you could also find situations where the company has a policy, not allowing employees to be armed, but the business itself or anybody that frequents the business you know, may not necessarily restrict, you know, visitors or patrons from being armed, right? So sure. you, when we start talking about gun-free zones and stuff, that like even that gets a little bit, you know, hard to distinguish in some of those special cases, uh, especially offices and, and businesses. Yeah, my last job was like that. Uh, employees were prohibited per policy from having a firearm, but any public person entering the premise could. Yep. So the, the next one in the data is my least favorite. I hate it. I would exclude it if I could get away with it. The problem is if I didn't if I didn't include this in the report, then everybody would have asked the question. So I, I had to include it, but I think it's really worthless. And that is looking at states and saying which states are most likely to have an active shooter event in this country. Uh, and if you include D.C., we're really talking about 51 states. I, I hate it because stati- you know any statistician would laugh at this and be like, you're kidding, right? Like we're talking about an 18-year period with 282 total events. That equates to five and a half on average per state over an 18-year period. That's not a lot. I mean, the data set is so low. It's so ridiculous. The sample size is so so poor that the data really doesn't mean anything, if that makes any sense. But the way we did it, we did do it by, by, by population. So we basically said, what are the number of incidents by state per 1 million people? Uh, and you can go look at the map if you want. I mean, some of the states that jump out as being heavier on active shooters are Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Kansas, Washington, D.C. But but I would encourage you to not read too much into this because, yeah. for example, North Dakota is painted here as being really high probability. And North Dakota has less than one million people in the state. And they've only ever had one active shooter event ever <laughs> in 18 years. <laughs> So to have one active shooter event in an 18-year period seems really low to anybody with a brain. But on this map, it looks like they are a very high-probability yeah. state. You see that with about, about a number of states. I mean, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, even Idaho. Um, yeah, you know, some of the smaller states. West, West Virginia would be another great example. You know, it's a small state, uh, small Vermont. population. Yeah. Vermont. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, out of everything we put together, this was probably the least useful to me, you know, like, okay, whatever. Like definitely like Colorado, you know, has had its fair share of active shooters, right? Washington, Washington, DC for sure. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you get a lot of crazies that, and and some of the perpetrators of events that have occurred in Washington, DC are not from Washington, DC. They've actually traveled to that location to to, to do that. It's a bit of a destination for crime. Yeah. Because of, you know, that's where our government is based. And if they have a political motivation at all, that, 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 that makes sense. So yeah, probably avoid Washington, DC, but there's a lot of other reasons to avoid, you know, DC (laughs) besides the active shooter uh, question. But, uh, anyway, Right. Someone on Facebook just asked about Oklahoma. Short answer is low, very, very low probability. You know, 0.5 to one uh, number of incidents per one million people over the eighteen years. 
Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, those on Facebook here, I'll just you know share this real quick. We're all, although we're about to move on to another really amazing, I think, statistic that came out of out of our study of all of this. Yeah, and this is the last one, and it's arguably my favorite. <laughs> well, so so let me let me set this up for you, and then I'll let you you know cash in the chips, so to speak. Um, one thing that you often hear as used as ammunition against concealed carry, against gun ownership. Uh, against self-defense even from particularly, you know, the anti-gunners is, well, we don't want to turn it into the wild, wild west. And if we have all of these people that are armed, that are carrying, and we, you know, and boy, you know, those, <laughs> the anti-gunners really want to blow a gasket. Their head just wants to explode when you suggest anything like uh, constitutional carry. That's, that's cool, man. Like whatever, knock yourself out. And they're just like, are you serious? Like we wouldn't even know who these people are that are carrying guns <laughs> in public, right? And what's going to happen for sure is you're going to have a situation, you're going to have 10 different people all pointing guns at each other, and no one's going to know who's who, and people are going to get shot, right? Like, that's the argument. We're going to turn it into the wild, wild west. In fact, well, not to mention, think like the training argument. Yeah. Well, we make our cops go through all this training and stuff, and we got all these, you know, crazy citizens who, you know, shoot, man. And in Indiana, almost fifteen percent of adults have a permit; and they don't even have to take a class. Right. Oh my gosh! Right. You know? <laughs> Cindy has a really funny comment here. Why not? The Wild West was an awesome time. <laughs> well, it had it had some awesome parts about it. Uh, but I don't know that I, uh, there's a part of me, there's a romantic part of me that was like, I, I, I could go back to the 1800s. That'd be fun. But you know, the whole like dying young, you know, getting sick and diseased and breaking bones and dying from crap like that influenza. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll think I'll stick in the two thousands. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's basically the argument that's used, right. Is that, uh, uh, that we're going to have innocent bystanders get struck by bullets, uh, from all these concealed carriers, all these armed civilians that respond to every little thing that happens, uh, you know, any, every active shooter. And now that's, by the way, let's be clear, have law enforcement officers shot innocent bystanders before? Yeah, yeah, totally. Is this still a concern? Is it something that we as responsible gun owners and concealed carriers need to be aware of? That yes, I need to make sure my skills are sharp. I need to make sure I identify my target and identify my threat. And I need to make sure that I have the confidence and the ability to hit what I need, what I am intending to hit. That, 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 those are all valid points. It, this does not excuse. What we're about to tell you here in the next 90 seconds does not excuse our need to train and, and prepare ourselves with regards to our skills and also our mindset, right? But here's the big thing. So this just, this just busts every media narrative. Right. If you, actually, hold on. A little side, little, another sidebar, Jacob. Do you remember the uh, shooter that in Walmart a couple months ago here in uh, Colorado in Thornton? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, a dude came come into the, comes into the Walmart. He shoots and kills three people in the Walmart. And the one thing that the Denver Post and all the local media couldn't seem to get out of their minds was, well, police were delayed for hours as they went through the Walmart customers because they, you know, they had to watch all the videotape. Took like you know, hours from to go every through, through everything to try to identify who the bad guy was because so many people pulled their guns out inside that Walmart. <laughs> yeah. What, which, what, what morons. Which, like, which, 
you know, even for people shooting at other people, you know, (laughs) right. Like like the way the media report on that was just totally biased and wrong. Um, and most importantly, nobody got shot, you know, no, no good people got shot by other good people in that incident. So anyway, all right. So I set it up. So Jacob, tell us out of all these active shooter events in this data set, out of all of these incidents where we had an armed civilian present and they were able to do something that stopped or slowed down the attacker, how many times did innocent people get hurt by other would do gooders? Zero. Oh. Never happened. Not once. Zero? Are no. you serious? Never. Not not even like somebody got shot in the hand or the foot Big or the leg. Nada. Now I, I also will will quickly admit that you know when we look at this data, thirty three incidents in which an armed citizen is present. I'll, I'll just repeat that's not a lot. So we are dealing with a relatively low data set. Thirty three events over eighteen year period, but it is the data we have. It is real data. That's what's available to us, and the data is very clear that out of those thirty three incidents. There were zero situations at which the armed citizen killed or injured an innocent person. It never happened, not even once. Oh, snap. <laughs> yep. That I think that is one of the most remarkable things that came out of this whole this whole thing. As far as, I mean, it's remarkable enough that 95% of the incidents where an armed civilian was present, they were able to slow down or stop the attack. But then they also didn't hurt anybody else. Never. Wow. Not like, even once. That's like not huge. even like they they bumped someone and that person tripped and scraped their arm on the asphalt. Right. There are zero examples from any of those thirty three stories at which the good guy with the gun did anything whatsoever that even arguably, debatably injured someone. Mm-hmm. As I said, this doesn't. This shouldn't give us overconfidence as far as, oh, I got nothing to worry about. You know, if I'm ever in this kind of situation, like, yeah, like nobody's ever hurt an innocent person. No, I don't you dare, you guys listening, don't you dare be the first. Don't you ruin this perfect track record. Okay. I'll, I'll add one other thing that is not in this data that is probably noteworthy at this point in the conversation. And that is that of those 33 incidents in which an active shooter was present, or excuse me, at which an armed citizen was present. Not all 33 of those armed citizens walked away. Yeah. So while mm. it's true that there were zero times where an innocent person was injured or killed by the good guy, there are situations where the good guy died. So it's not, you know, it's definitely not a, oh, good, good guys always prevail. They always win. Life is always good and dandy and awesome sauce. Uh, you, you know, some, some of these guys gave their, gave their lives to stop or slow down that active shooter. So that, that's an important, noteworthy point. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about that on the podcast a number of times as far as, uh, and I have other data that would say the same thing, would suggest the same thing, that the gun is not an, a, an automatic protector of you. It does not mean you're going to come through a armed encounter with, with a bad guy without some sort of injury or without even dying. Um, in fact, we covered on the podcast uh couple episodes ago where uh, it was a couple. It just said it described it as a couple. So I assume a married couple, I suppose, or whatever. And they somehow, they had a intruder or something that was going on at their home. And all we know is that outside of their home, they ended up getting a shootout back and forth with a couple of armed bad guys. And that couple, that husband and wife, they died in their front yard trying to defend themselves. So, uh, yeah, crap happens, but 
the good news is, at least for everybody else. Now, this is the this is the big the big thing that we got to ask ourselves and we take upon ourselves as part of our responsibility. That if you decide, if you choose to get involved in an active shooter situation, it does not mean that you're going to come through it okay. Um, and I hope that regardless of the outcome, that your actions save lives, at least of others. That's, and that's a noble cause. If that's going to be, you know, if that's your mindset. Now, keep in mind, there's so many other things that got to be taken into account. And there's probably many stories where there were arms, and I, I kind of touched on this a little bit, I hinted at it, where there's armed civilians that are present, but because of certain circumstances, they may choose just to get themselves away from the situation as opposed to engaging with the bad guy. If I'm in a mall and I got my family, I got my wife, and my kids, unless we come under direct fire, my number one focus is to get my my family, my loved ones away, right? Not to go looking for the bad guy. As, as noble a cause that may be and and as noble as it may be to try to save other people's lives, my number one priority is my family, right? Uh, I could save my neighbor and that would be cool and all. I'd feel good about that. But if I lost my family in the process, hmm, boy, you know, but that's just, these are decisions you got to make for yourself. So, but my hope is, is that we will continue to train, that we'll continue to be prepared and work on our preparations, that we will have, you know, good, uh, solid mindset, that we'll continue to work on our mindset, that we'll know that our skills are sharp and ready to be put, put to use if need be, if called upon, and that when the moment comes, if it comes, and hopefully it never does, but if it does, that we are able to actually do something that positively affects the outcome, and that we aren't, aren't a detriment in some way, and that we also don't be the first one to break this perfect rec- record of hurting or killing innocent people, ourselves. That's all I got to say about the matter, Jacob. Yeah, I appreciate uh, all the other people here at ConsultCarry.com who put a lot of effort into this and helped me look good when we published this report. So it was a it was a team effort, and this took us like four months and a lot of hours. So uh, just a you know, a shout out also to your podcast listeners, especially those of you who are Guardian Nation members or, or who are just customers who have been to our site, who have purchased things, because that's the stuff that pays the bills. We can hire the people that allow us to bring you data like this, which is valuable. So you know, thank you for supporting our company so that we can undertake projects like this, which directly you know don't generate any revenue or keep us in business. Yeah, but hopefully it makes a difference somewhere. Uh, folks, if you've listened to this episode, I would encourage you to go to the show notes, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 266, which will be live once the podcast episode itself is actually published, and share this article and or share the infographics. Now, at the, at the attached to the bottom of that article is a long connected infographic. It, it, it's basically a summary of everything that we just shared with you in this episode today. Go share that with all your social media channels. Share it with your friends, your family. Uh, help educate the masses as it relates to the positive effect that concealed carriers, especially in public, can have in determining the outcome of many of these active shooter situations. Yep. If you are interested in the raw data, if you do, if you you know, if you want to download the raw data and read all 283 of these news stories, there is a link in that article where you can do that. You just click on that, and you can, we provide that data. It's available. Yeah. Yep. 
cool stuff. That way you can, you know, and that's, that's, it. that's also important. We try to be transparent in everything we do here. And, uh, you know, so you can go and see everything that we did as far as this data, where it came from, how we used it. And, um, you know, if we made a mistake somewhere, well, let us know, but we tried to do the best we could. And we're not some fancy, you know, multi-million dollar grant backed, you know, research agency. This is just, you know, us, us doing, doing our thing. So anyway, uh, appreciate everyone being a part of this episode today. Uh, a reminder of our episode sponsors, Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Uh, go check them out. Great people, great ammo, great prices. And then also our no gun control sale going on all this week. This ends on Saturday, by the way. Uh, is that Saturday night, Jacob? At midnight, yeah. yeah. So call it Sunday morning, 12 a.m. Yeah, so Saturday night, basically, that's your last chance. Use no gun control, 20% off coupon code, everything off in our store, including the awesome Speak Softly and Carry a Big Stick t-shirts and other things. Go to our site, concealedcarry.com. Go to the shop and uh, load up that cart. Take advantage, take full advantage of that. 20, we, we've, I don't, I don't think we've ever done, uh, you, you might, I might be wrong, but have we ever done a site-wide sale quite like this before? Uh, not that lasted this long. Like we've done like one day sales and things like that. But this is probably the biggest, longest lasting sale we've ever done. And substantial, 20% that's, off. That's public and available. Guardian to Nation members, another 10%, 30% off. That This is, uh, it, guys, seriously, this is cutting into our bottom line. <laughs> but uh, hopefully it's, uh, you know, helping you be a little bit more prepared and putting some products in your hands that are helpful to your preparation, your training, and all that. So uh, anyway, concealedcarry.com, no gun control coupon code. Well, this uh, wraps it up for this episode and for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, we've got other other great stuff on on its way. So, Jacob, any last words, buddy? Nah, man. Let's uh, let's take the data to heart. Let's share it and let's take action based on it. All right, sounds good to me. So, a reminder to everyone out there: train right. Seriously, train often and train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.